Hi friends, I'm Tanya Luna, a psychology researcher and educator. And I'm Brian Luna, and I ain't afraid of no ghosts. Actually, no, I am. And you're listening to Talk Psych to Me, a show where we take research out of the labs and into the streets. Let's continue. Yeah, so this is our first ever cliffhanger. Ooh, two-parter. This is like Empire Strikes Back. Yes, that's what I was just thinking. One of us loses a hand. One of us is the other one's father. Spoiler alert! So in our last episode, we talked about nonverbal communication, which is so important. It's such a huge percentage of all of the messages we send. And we got so excited about this topic (laughs) that we used too many words... To talk about not using words. <laughs> and we wound up here in part two. Part two. Dun, dun, dun. dun. Or do you only do that at the end of part one? I think you only do it at the end so of part one. So what do you do one, at the I beginning of part two? Like in Lethal Weapon 2, they're already in the action. They're in pursuit. In medias res. <laughs> How long have you been holding on to that? <laughs> I actually, it's a term that I learned recently <laughs> that refers to good narrative storytelling. Mm. Good storytelling starts in medias res, right smack in the middle. Lethal Weapon 2. Talk psych to me. There you go. We're right on board. (laughs) We're like the new lethal weapon. All right. So last time we talked about the importance of nonverbal communication. Uh We talked about one dimension of nonverbal communication, which is space. Mm -hmm. And we took up so much space talking about space. And now we're going to take up some time talking about time. Okay. So time is actually a huge factor in nonverbal communication. It's something that in psycholinguistics we call chronemics. Ooh. Chronemics in and of itself, we can talk and talk and talk and talk about. It's such a rich field. So I'm just going to cover a few highlights starting with silence. Okay. I'm supposed to be quiet. Okay. Sorry. Starting now. (laughs) Brian Luna, you don't like silence much. Yes, watch. (laughs) This is the worst episode ever. The one where they didn't say things. What does silence mean to you in communication? Because silence has so much significance. Silence means anger, uh, someone being upset, sadness maybe, and maybe disinterest. So bad things. And how does silence feel to you? Like right now, I said silence. You know, obviously I was trying to be cheeky. I get, I can handle it. It's like if I'm comfortable with you, silence is is fine. Like I can sit in the same room with people and blah blah blah. Yeah, I've been in a car with you. (laughs) But but if um if if I don't know you or if I meet new people. I have a tendency to not shut up. Yeah. And I, and I divulge we, we, things that I don't want to do. what's the sound that we, when we, when we <laughs> make fun of you? Yeah. <laughs> so have you ever gotten Brian, like, nervous, excited? <laughs> so and many I, facts. And I divulge things that I would never normally tell anyone. Oh, my anyone, gosh. Like, on any... It's like you're being interrogated, but no one. <laughs> if I was in the CIA, I would give up the goods. Everything. I watch Homeland all the time, and I'm like, I wouldn't last one episode half a season and can we just be honest sometimes you make things up a little bit just absolutely (laughs) but i don't i don't lie i just like sometimes i'll I'll say things like uh someone's like uh oh yeah i just flew in from los angeles i was like oh yeah yeah i was there you know too (laughs) i Uh, was just in los angeles yeah i was just in los angeles meaning like two years ago And, and in my mind i'm like why did i say that i don't mean to lie it's not like i'm like a compulsive liar no you're just trying to fill the silence yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think that's one of the reasons you get a little, uh, you like put too much pressure on yourself in communication. All right. This isn't some kind of, I'm not on your couch, doc. Your friend Matt, also not yeah, a fan of silence. So my best friend in the world, Matt, he's even worse with new people than I am. And there's a barbecue story that I'm going to tell you right now because it always makes me laugh. And we, this happened maybe 12, 13 years ago and we still give him shit. We were on break from filming and he was like, let's go get some lunch. And... 
I guess he thought it'd be cheeky or something to like take us to Hooters. And so um, we get in there and the waitress goes, uh, what do you want to eat? Blah, blah, blah. And, and you know, I, I think I had like mozzarella sticks and fries or whatever. And Matt is like, I'm going to have a burger with a barbecue sauce. And she she was like, oh, we don't have barbecue sauce or something like that. And he's like, oh, well, you can just bring me mayonnaise and ketchup. And for some reason, he decided to... Tell her what the secret ingredient, like how to build barbecue sauce. She's like, you know, because basically all barbecue sauce is, is uh, mayonnaise and ketchup. That's all you do. You just mix it together and you add maybe a little spice or something. But that's why it's that color. And it's so consistent with ketchup. because it's. And he's giving her, this woman just wants to get their order in so she can get off and get out of those tiny shorts and maybe put on some, uh, you know, some leggings or something and just get comfortable. Some sweatpants. Sweatpants. You know, she has to wear the, 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 the hose under the shorts and she's probably not like comfortable. And she's just, the look on her face is like, "Uh uh-huh. So you want what, you know, like what, what's your order? And that's, and so we gave him shit as if like he was giving some TED talk on, on, uh, on the, on the brilliance of what barbecue sauce really, history. And oh my God, we could not stop. And to this day, we give him the, well, actually barbecue sauce is actually the, you know, it's like the comic book guy from Simpsons. Well, some of that could have just been like nervous excitement, but some of it could have been discomfort with silence. Yeah. Also, <laughs> if you know the secret to barbecue sauce. <laughs> but that's not the secret to barbecue sauce. I mean, sauce. you might want to share that uh, with people Texas, who don't have barbecue sauce. We don't mix ketchup and sauce. mayonnaise. He's anyway, nuts. Isn't that like the secret sauce for McDonald's? I hope we don't get sued for that. Anyway, yeah. silence can speak volumes, no pun intended. But it means something really different in, to different individuals, definitely means something different in different cultures. So, mm. for example, Bruno and Ishii studied collaborations between Dutch and Chinese researchers, and they found that Dutch folks interpreted silence from their Chinese colleagues as lack of communication, resulting in reduced trust and more distancing. Very similar to U.S. norms, what you brought up earlier in terms of your interpretation. And that sucks because in Chinese culture, silence can often mean listening and thoughtfulness and respect. Going back to what we talked about in the last episode, nonverbal communication isn't one of those things you can look up in the dictionary. In your brain, the cultural glasses that you're wearing, it is so objectively true that silence means disinterest that you can't even fathom that silence can mean something else. In some cultures, silence can actually even mean refusal like in greece and in some it could mean agreement like what do you in mean Egypt. refusal How do you like mean? if i say hey would you like to um go to the drive-in movie theater today <laughs> i don't say anything yep it means that you don't want to do it cats do that not people that's that's <laughs> effed up greece i'm so sorry greece say for our greece, cultural I ain't sensitivity. sorry get it together greece. so i want to share with you a story recounted by a linguist named muriel seville troik mm-hmm. in which egyptian pilots asked for permission to land their planes in greece and greek traffic controllers responded with silence (laughs) so the egyptians because their cultural glasses are silence means consent they were like awesome we're gonna land in greece because silence means refusal their interpretation is that this was an obvious act of aggression and they actually fired at the egyptian planes what see get it together greece (laughs) that ain't me get it together greece because the rest of the world is like yes and no and greece is like what if you sent someone an email asking them if they'd want to participate in a play that you're putting on or something like that, and you just did not hear back from them? How would you interpret it? No. Okay. That's very Greek. Of I'd you. also be like, F those people. I mean, like, <laughs> come on, Taya, why didn't you answer when you send me an email? Like, I'd be like, what the F? What's, what's going on with that? But, like, that's just interesting. It's not just me. I mean, like, schools, 
uh, if a kid is quiet, then yeah. they're considered like, oh, I, you know, during the parent-teacher conference, they're like, oh, uh, Sally or Jimmy or whatever is in the back not saying anything. They yeah. don't participate. But think about how cross-culturally must... different that is. Yeah. Because, you know, we talked a, a couple of episodes back on popularity about popularity in U.S. standards versus Chinese standards, yeah. where in the U.S. talking a lot is really privileged. In Chinese culture, that could mean being disruptive. And so you're interpreting silence or lack of participation in totally, totally different ways. Mm. I think something that's interesting to think about is when it comes to negotiation research, in the U.S. and Canada, silence can even be weaponized to make people feel uncomfortable. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I can see that. I can see. What? You jerk. You just did it to me. Nice. Touche. That was good. I just gave her a fist bump. That was dope. So you, this would work so well on you because oh God, not yeah. only do you hate silence, you hate negotiating. I have seen you do this where you negotiate against yourself. Uh-huh. You know, where you're I've like, actually paid more for stuff. Yeah, and you don't even let them use silence. You're just like, <laughs> your anticipation of the discomfort of silence. But that's a cultural thing. So in plenty of linguistic cultures, taking a pause that's too long actually communicates discomfort or disinterest. So like in Italy, Spain, actually even New York City, which shows you how microculture these things can be. A sign of engagement is in conversation is actually talking over somebody mm-hmm. and everyone's talking at the same time. It's called simultaneous communication or back channel support. In that happens in my culture. Like You just uh, did it to like, me. Well, yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, go no, ahead. But, Keep but, talking and I'm going to... Yeah. For people who come no, from yeah, us... Sequ- because we're going <laughs> to... So they're simultaneous well, culture. what I'm saying. <laughs> no, go ahead. Sorry. No. No, please. Now I don't trust no, my communication ahead, space. Sorry, sorry. Let me take the I stage. I just wanted to. Right. This is a term in linguistics. Yeah. There's the person who's on stage and there's the person providing back channel support. And there's sequential. Why can't you just say on stage and then the audience? Because because the audience <laughs> implies passive, whereas in many linguistics communication cultures, back channel support means even though you're talking and you're on stage, I might be back channel talking just to show you support, just to show you, yeah, I'm here. I'm excited. I'm interested. I got to tell you, I don't like being considered back channel. Which is I why think, you're I usually on stage. <laughs> no, no. So I think really... even in this podcast, we try to switch to a more sequential communication style just so it's yeah. easier to hear us. But I would say for both of us, our more comfortable communication style is simultaneous. Yes. So you go ahead and share what you were going to say, and I'm going to model a little bit of back channel support for folks yep. who come from more of a sequential well, communication culture so they can see what that feels like. In my culture, uh-huh. like growing up Latino, yeah, uh, we all talk – like at the dinner table right. at Christmas, everyone is like piling on and just like one story after another and people tagging people in the And in that's the what makes stories. it feel fun and exciting it just, it and It gets engaging. people engaged and then that way everyone is involved. Did you do that? Yeah. Were you doing something? Yeah. I was you... <laughs> that seemed natural to me. Yeah, I was, I was like, giving you back channel support. Oh my God, you're a great back channel supporter. Thank you. Yeah. So while I was giving you back channel support, that felt good to you? Well, it just felt natural, like that you were engaged and yeah. we were in the same conversation. So yeah. I bet that when you talk to a sequential communicator, it drives you bananas because you're like, oh my God, why are they not saying anything? Are they interested? Are they not interested? Yeah. I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. I don't want to put talking pressure onto them. So let me keep talking. Mm-hmm. And then what ends up happening, and linguist and author named Deborah Tannen talks about this a lot, when you get people with two different communication norms, what happens is then you talk, 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 yeah. talk. And you're like, oh, why aren't they jumping in? Why are they leaving me out here all on my own to do all the talking? Whereas the other person is going, oh my gosh, why aren't they shutting up yeah. and giving me enough space to jump in? And I probably come off as self-absorbed and they come off as like a dullard. Disinterested or, or yeah. dullard. Yeah, exactly. This also gets into the topic of paralinguistics, which we touched on a little bit in the last episode. Yeah. It has that to do with re- ghosts and stuff. <laughs> no. Okay. Try again. <laughs> uh, double linguistics. 
Paralinguistics. Single linguistics. Like saying one thing at a time. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it refers to basically speech sounds. Oh, yes. So it's still words, but it's not the words themselves. It's the how of mm-hmm. the words. So we're talking about things like volume, tone, pitch. Another sign of conversational engagement that differs cross-culturally is volume and intensity when it comes to paralinguistics. And you see this bubble up as miscommunication even within the United States. So if you contrast African-American communication style, which is a generalization, but culturally, it's very different than, again, overgeneralized white communication style Mm -hmm. when it comes to volume, when it comes to sequential versus simultaneous communication, and it comes to intensity. So you'll sometimes see white people think that black people are in a fight whereas it's actually just an engaged conversation have you ever had this you go to different barber shops because you've been trying to figure out who should cut your hair Mm -hmm. have you noticed differences in communication style when you go to like a black barber shop versus a latino barber shop versus a white barber well there are no really latino barber shops i mean i guess there are but like uh it's the same kind of culture as like an african-american or you know black latinx yeah 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 like it's the same like everyone's debating and arguing like so you some know, of that is the content are, yeah 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 a lot and of storytelling that's another a lot of storytelling and it's a lot of like of the it, it, if you were to walk in it sounds aggressive it sounds like people are like going to get into a fight if you're white and you walk in yeah 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 but if you go to like a, a white barber shop the conversations are, are like kept to the barber and the person in the chair like very hushed yeah. private and, and and i kind of freak everyone out because i'll hear something <laughs> talk and there's a couple guys from like you know where i grew up that are in there and they'll do the same thing like we talk about boxing and stuff you talk across and, the space yeah and we'll talk across the space and, and and laugh and everything but like they're you know other it freaks the white people out yeah i was gonna say for lack of a better word they don't really talk like yeah. in the chairs or, or they'll like i'll just hear them giving like okay yeah you can do this oh yeah i just came back from so and so and you know i'm going to I'm, i have my meeting and so know. not only are you talking loud you're also you're clearly listening oh i'm eavesdropping like a mother scratcher yeah i'm eavesdropping like i'm in the cia uh because it's just that's just i grew up like when i went to the barber with my dad growing up it was me and him and the three barbers that work there. And you would have thought it was like 60 people, you know? <laughs> and, and and my dad would come in and, and maybe insult the guy, you know, call him a name or two. And then the, my dad, he would call my dad short and they get into it. <laughs> and then dad would sit in the chair as calm as can be and talk about the those goddamn cowboys, you know? <laughs> and then, you know, or talk about, you know, boxing and, and all the And we just, it was just like, it was fascinating to me. So when I got in the chair... I would get a lollipop and talk about those goddamn cowboys. Last year. You know, last year. <laughs> and, and just like, and, and try to emulate what they yeah. were doing. But and, and imagine though the danger of someone, particularly someone in a privileged, in a position of power, thinking that that form of communication is aggressive. You know, yeah. this comes up a lot even in schools, for example, when you'll see black or Latinx kids getting together and mm. white teachers are like, oh my God, there's a gang war about to break oh, out. Yeah, versus yeah, yeah. these kids are just having a great time yeah. having a conversation in the style that feels most natural that you grow up hearing and, and being we part were, of. We were in, in high school, our first day of senior, our senior year, we got pulled in the vice principal's office. I won't tell you his name is because he was a real jerk. Just Dang. to be clear, I never ask for names on this show. <laughs> I almost want to. I'll share researchers and then I always have to edit out any of the <laughs> well, names. Man, he was a real motor scooter, that guy. He was a real bitch. And, uh, but anyway, he, he, he gave us a whole what for about like being in a gang. And we were like, we're not, a gang. But so you it was, thought you were in a gang because you were loud? Because we were loud and, and a little rambunctious, you know? But, like, because at the time, like, gangs were on the rise, too. And I don't blame him, but, like, he labeled us a gang. So we were we were officially 
a gang, so we gave ourselves. I don't names think that's everything. how gangs become gangs. No, no, no. I don't I mean, think you officially become <laughs> we, a gang. In the vice president, when your vice principal no, we weren't, but tells like, you that you're a gang. But we were, we weren't a gang. That's <laughs> and he's my like, point. and here, and please take these bandanas, <laughs> please. We even gave ourselves names, and uh, <laughs> so now we hear, we understand the history yeah, of. Gangs. We were the Nutter Butters. The Nutter Butters. No, I'm just kidding. We weren't. We, okay. we were something else that was that's probably not a gang name. derogatory. Yeah, uh, but this is why I think this topic is so important and interesting because you are just walking around expecting everyone to communicate the way that you do. And if you ask someone rationally, do you think people will communicate the way you do? They say, no, of course, everyone's different. But these dimensions that we've been talking about over the past two episodes, they're invisible to us. So we really have to pause and reflect. And also at the end of the day, communication is important because it's about clarity. It's about trust. It's about connection. So if we feel disconnected, very likely it's not because of the words that we're using. It's because of how we're using those words. Before we move on from crony mix, I also want to share an interesting point about the role of time in digital communication. So, for example, how long someone takes to respond to your email or on (laughs) Slack or text. What's your expected response time when it comes to email? Well, it's very different from you and I. Like, it's a big thing. You are always on me about replying to other people not you because someone will tell me hey i texted brian (laughs) is he okay and i'm like oh my god i like to be a mystery i like to live like bruce wayne i'm like bruce wayne yesterday i believe this was yesterday it was a 15 minute interval where my phone happened to be on silent and Mm -hmm. i believe i received six phone calls from you within a 15 minute interval sounds about right like panicking panicking is strong because you were telling me earlier that day that you weren't feeling well and you haven't not felt well in a long time. So when you told me that and you didn't answer and you're in another state, you're not only you're in a state, you're across the country. And we got all these things going on. We got, I want to know if you're okay. I text you, I call you and it's after hours. So like you're not at work anymore. So I'm texting you a couple times. Usually we're really quick with a response like, hey, heart, you know. This. That's something I had to learn. I had to learn to adjust my mix and my communication with yeah. you because you prefer a quick response and you prefer the right to not respond. <laughs> <laughs> no, I always respond. I'll say you're very responsive with me, but you have been known to ghost others. So here's where it gets interesting mm-hmm. because there's a power component here, which is why I think people get emotional around chronemics. Mm-hmm. For example, if you emailed someone who's like your intern, how mm-hmm. quickly would you expect them to get back to you? My intern? Yeah. Within a couple hours, maybe. Okay. And if you emailed, I don't know, the president of a company you were working for or... My boss? Yeah. Let's say your boss. How mm-hmm. long would you expect them to get back to you? A few days. Okay. Isn't that interesting? That's about communication norms in terms of time. That's chronemics. What that tells us is that we expect different lengths of time, both in response time and even in things like how much time does someone take up talking in a meeting based on how much power they have. Mm -hmm. So if someone has more power, we're okay with them taking longer to respond, maybe even showing up late to meetings. We're okay with them taking up more airtime in a meeting. Um, Whereas if someone has low power and they're doing that shit, you're like, who do you think you are? And at the end of the day, it's just time. Yeah. But it's a really strong communication signal. Comedians do that. Say someone like at a comedy store in LA, they wait their whole day to do their time. And someone big like Seinfeld might come in and bump someone mm. to give that to get their time. That and feels like they, space and time. Yeah. And this happens in the workplace all the time where people are furious with one another just because of chronemics. Yeah. You also see chronemics play out on things like how long do people take to answer your question? So if I ask you a question and let's say you're in a Western culture, generally I would expect you to answer right away. Yeah. Whereas Asian cultures, if you answer right away, that would be a sign of thoughtlessness. 
So if you really take time to think about it, Asian culture, I'm seeing that as respect, as, you know, really taking my question seriously. Western culture, if you take too long, I'm like, uh, hello. What about Ukrainian culture? Like, what about Neil's culture? I don't know. We're Eurasian. So Mm -hmm. depending on what communication dimension you're talking about, it sometimes falls more Western, (laughs) sometimes more Eastern. I actually don't know about response It's interesting because, like, your mom wants me to respond really fast when she texts. And Mm. I usually do. But, like, I can also see your mom going, you answer that way too quickly. Think about it and send me it. You know what I mean? Well, but but (laughs) going back to power in Ukrainian culture, my mom has positional power over you. Yes. And so if you take too long to respond to her, Even that's here a she cute... Does. <laughs> we could be Ukraine, US... But that would be a cue to her basically saying you don't respect her if you don't respond quickly enough. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. Which never happens, by the way. So you do, you jump I'm on responding it. to your mom right now. <laughs> she hasn't even texted me, but I'm responding. I'm if, she wa- if she listens to this episode, which she probably won't, she's going to get so power hungry. Because <laughs> you know that lady likes power. She loves some power. Yeah. Okay, so we've talked about chronemics. Yes, we did. Last episode, we talked about space Space. or proxemics. The last thing that I'd love to cover with you Mm -hmm. today in this part two. Part two. Might at some point have a part three. I don't know. But for now, part two, last thing I want to talk about when it comes to nonverbal communication is artifacts. I think this is an interesting one because people hear nonverbal communication, they think tone, they think facial expressions, they think gestures maybe, but artifacts we choose every single day and we don't really put that mentally into the category of nonverbal communication. So artifacts, we're talking visible objects, clothing, your car, jewelry, tattoos. Like what are the artifacts that you have right now that can signal to people something about you and what you're communicating to them? Like let's say wearing what you're wearing right now and having the hair that you have right now, you show up to an audition. Mm -hmm. What would that signal? That I'm going to beat somebody up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because you're wearing like a hoodie. You got a mohawk. It potentially signals some aggression. You got tats. Yeah. We were just having a conversation about artifacts or electives as another word for it the other day with Michael, a friend of ours who's a doctor. Mm -hmm. Remember that? He has an earring. Yes. A really cool earring. Yeah. He has a thing pierced. I don't even know what it's called. It's not your lobe. It's that little weird thing that sticks out from the It's like the part of your ear that you all know, but no one talks about. Yeah. He he got that He's a doctor. He told me. He was like, you mean on my ferulinium? Well, you could have just said on that weird part of my ear. We really take issue with vocabulary. Look. I don't want anybody slapping me with vocabulary. That's another way of big dogging people. Taking up space with big words. Taking up space with big words. Taking don't big dog me. Big don't big dog me with your dictionary, Hoss. Don't big dog me with your dictionary, Hoss. Yeah. That's the most Brian Luna thing I've ever heard. <laughs> anyway, so Michael, who, despite his potential big dogging you with his vocabulary, yeah. we love dearly. I love Michael's the best, man. He, he's, so he's got the earring, he's yeah. got some tats. He's got some tats. And I remember us having a conversation. You were like, okay, I think I'm okay with the arm tats, but you can't get neck tats. Otherwise, yeah. I communicate something to a patient. Well, if you're if, if you're my surgeon and you come in, you have a neck tat, you've made some bad choices. Like all of a sudden I'm like, hey, dude, put the scalpel down. But do you remember what he said? He said something really interesting. I wasn't listening to Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, I was listening. He was saying that most of his patients yeah, feel, at ease. feel more at ease because, because of where it he works. Something because of where he works. He works in the so ER. So if they're coming in, yeah. if they're coming in with tattoos and he has a tattoo, all of a sudden that sends a nonverbal communication message of, of, of what? Of like, we're all cool. We're yeah, all, we're, we're all, we're, I get you. But, but I'm not going to judge you maybe. Yeah, but he also said that 
the type of people that come into the ER are a little rough around the edges, like people that I grew up with. You know, like say he was working in Beverly Hills taking blood or, you know, like doing, I, don't know, I mean, doctors do more than that. It's probably not even, it's probably not even. Michael, we respect your profession. <laughs> yeah, no, we totally, Michael, I just don't know. Oh my God, but like, Michael, but, I'm sorry. No, no, no. But like, let's say he was working in Beverly Hills and he was a GP or something and, you know, someone walked in and he had the neck tats and all that and he had maybe a face tat. Like, I like how we're like building this up. Where like Michael by the end of this episode is gonna have like he's got near, he's got eyebrow piercing and all that his ear holes or whatever that's no, but called. like but but imagine that like imagine you walk here's in and... why I disagree with you I have research to back me up on this researchers Beletsa Gina and Keenan mm-hmm. wanted to see how people would perceive individuals who wore gym clothes into luxury boutiques okay. or red sneakers in a business setting which how they I were think, perceived yeah how okay. they were perceived if they well, strutted into that boutique with some gym clothes on or in Michael's case you know with some neck tats into like a really high-end fancy and, and let's, let's just go back to Michael for one second in our defense Michael actually looks very presentable I, I, he's not like all tatted out he has that one little thing and then that's it and Michael's of, boss is like can I, I need to see you tomorrow Michael okay. does Michael um, have a boss do doctors have bosses yeah the surgeon general <laughs> We clearly don't know. Michael's like, I have to go see the Surgeon General because he heard (laughs) Brian and Tanya's podcast. Now I got to fly to D.C. From what I understand, the only thing the Surgeon General does is like type the little messages on cigarette boxes. I don't think he actually types it. I think someone else. I think his intern does. And she has to get, she has to respond in within two hours. But like that's Uh, already been done once. So what does the Surgeon General do over and over and over? Because that feels like the one thing. Anyway, we'll get back to that. Yeah, yeah, we'll ask Michael. But uh, look, I used to work in a luxury boutique. Yes. uh, And and someone coming in with gym clothes. Yeah. I want to hear what what this person says with these this trio yeah. with this barbershop trio is talking about <laughs> hello, 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 hello. Hello. <laughs> How did we know we we're gonna do that? Heckle and Jekyll cartoons. <laughs> okay, so anyway, what would you what would your perception be? Someone Well, walks I mean in. someone walks in with gym clothes, depending on what kind of gym clothes, let's say average gym clothes, mm-hmm. not gonna be seen as like someone you take seriously. They're gonna be seen as like um eye watchers or eye shoppers, you know, just coming into to, <laughs> eye watchers. To, to, just coming into um to look and browse and okay. maybe uh how about really nice quality gym clothes? Like if you can easily recognize a brand immediately yeah. and see the value in that, then yeah, they're gonna be taken seriously. So here's what they found. When these individuals did this unconventional norm breaking thing, they were actually perceived as having more status and more power. So I give you, yes, probably the quality of the gym clothes matters because maybe you're assessing like, can this person even afford this stuff? I've, <laughs> I mentioned this, like, unfortunately, to some coworkers. This is sometimes known as the red sneaker study. Mm-hmm. And I have these red shoes. And I don't like to shop. So they're one of my only <laughs> sets of shoes. And so now every time I come into work with my red shoes, they're like, oh, trying to have power, trying to have status. <laughs> No, they're just really comfortable shoes. They're badass too. They're not like little rinky-dink shoes. But I will say Mm -hmm. that sometimes if I have to work with executives, I will do a little bit of a counterculture thing Mm -hmm. just to demonstrate that... You're comfortable. That I'm comfortable. So if I'm going into a fancy organization, for the most part, I'll dress down a little bit versus the typical advice of dressing a little bit more formal than everyone else because I think that sends a signal that you're trying too hard. And that's exactly what you see. Oftentimes, I worked at a couple of high-end boutiques and we'd have visiting people doing a walkthrough or from another company like we had a security company that we would use that was third party so when their executives would come in you could tell they were wearing their nice suits but nice suits to them and I hate to sound like weren't the same as nice suits in Paris and the boutiques that I worked in. I felt so terrible because like they would immediately get judged. judged. 
and seen as like um, someone trying too hard. And this research, by the way, was done in the U.S. in a very individualistic culture. Mm -hmm. I imagine that looking at more collectivist cultures, doing something to deliberately stand out or not conform or sort of subvert the norms of the culture or the organization or whatever, I don't think that that would be seen as a high power move. I think that would be seen as a dick move. (laughs) Technical term. (laughs) Yeah, technical term, dick move. Okay, so you were talking about artifacts, uh, clothing and stuff. What are some other artifacts? Because right now there's a huge trend with celebrities getting face tats. Like I think Cindy Crawford's son, who's a model, got misunderstood under his left eye. Is he, like, what is he saying? I mean, what's really interesting about this question is that, I don't know, I'm not in that culture. So I don't actually know what signal they're trying to send. I'm curious to hear from your perspective, being in the acting world, what message would that send to you? What's the communication I'll tell you this. Recently, I decided to shave a mohawk into my head. Which is nonverbal communication. Which is nonverbal communication. On your head. What I wanted to say sort of with that is that this is me. This is who's coming in. I know I should probably I'm not going to try to conform. I'm not going to try to conform. I know I should probably have a standardized haircut. I should probably look like everyone else. But it even helps me in my everyday life be more active. It's kind of like a totem to me, so That's to speak. Cool. It communicates action. something to yourself. Yes. Also, yes. right? Like Almost a warrior, a warrior stand. Warrior, yeah. So yes. like, let's get into it. One of the other things I have is uh, a necklace. It's as a an simple, artifact? It's an artifact, yes. That um, It's a simple lightning bolt, a silver lightning bolt that you got me several years ago. And I wear it every time I want to feel focused. Every time I want to feel like I'm on the right track so or if I want to feel... self-communication. Self-communication. It makes me think of something, apparently Sir Lawrence Olivier, great actor, <laughs> when asked... He's all right. He's all right. No, I'm just kidding. He's, he's <laughs> when asked for some acting advice, he said let the wig do the work uh-huh. and it's kind of the opposite of the method approach that's mm-hmm. really common in the u.s versus in the uk it's he hated like, the method by the way yeah because yeah. method is all about inside out acting uh-huh. and his thing was all about outside in acting yeah. right so you don't understand your character until you find their walk mm-hmm. right or you don't understand their character until you find that perfect artifact yeah so he was really focusing on the non-verbal to get him to understand sure. why he was saying what he was saying yeah. so it's really interesting what you're bringing up because you know generally artifacts or electives are studied in nonverbal communication through the lens of what they communicate to others, but they can certainly communicate things to ourselves. You know, if you are choosing to have the Mohawk sort of to communicate to yourself, something probably to be thoughtful about is how do you not unintentionally send the message that you're going to be difficult to work with or Mm -hmm. aggressive, or if to you it signals warrior, how do we make sure that for other people it signals like peaceful warrior? Well, I guess that's where the tone comes in and that's where the words come in. And uh, to talk to me, you would know that, I mean, I can be aggressive, but I I also love to do what I I do. I, I love the business I'm in and I love working hard like that. So I love that because, you know, as long as you're intentional about this stuff and you take the time to ask yourself, what messages am I sending with mm-hmm. this nonverbal communication? You could be more deliberate in sending an intentional message versus an accidental message. Love it. So as we wrap up this episode, Brian? Yes. And your mohawk? Yes, Tanya. And your lack of mohawk. <laughs> Any takeaways? What can we as humans do to be better nonverbal communicators? Pay attention to your body language. Pay attention to your tone. You got to do your part. And that means you have to really be responsible for what you're saying and how you're saying it. Mm -hmm. I think the other takeaway for me, just continually bringing up this cross-cultural research, is not taking any message that you receive at face value and not saying, oh, this person said this thing in this way. Therefore, if I perceive it as aggressive or if I perceive it as cold, that means that's how they intended it. So I think in the increasingly cross-cultural and asynchronous communication world, that we work in, it's so important to just pause and ask for people's intentions 
questions yes and say oh, like hey, or even set expectations like how quickly should we respond to each other yeah. or what do you think about me using all these exclamation points uh, and when in <laughs> doubt you can use gifs or gifs yeah, or gifs both. or gifs or, or how you say. But also in this uh, one other thing, I'm sorry to tack on in this world of current uh, world climate of censorship, where comedy and songs and art is being taken at a particular value and this and that. It's always great to find out intent. It's always, and I know it's easy to say, oh, you shouldn't joke about this, or you shouldn't write about this, or you shouldn't see stories about this, or we shouldn't be doc- making documentaries about that. Everything's important, and every voice is important, and it's up to us, the listener to understand intent not always the person giving it's, it's mm. our it's our job too i'm not saying it's it's only our job or maybe it's what you said before like it's a 50 50 can can we 100 that's you know, what i meant 20 more deliberate in stating our intent can yes. we be 20 percent more deliberate in asking for intent and mm. and i think on the other side of cancel culture is people asking you know to be seen and to mm. be considered Absolutely. and to say hey i know this wasn't your intention but take a moment to hear out what the impact and, was and i me. think that's just as important everything's important that's yeah. my point especially in this growing age where communication is so easy now you know as opposed to like 20 years ago now we have emails text twitter yeah. instagram everything yeah and, it's and people just... aren't pausing to think before no. they communicate no. so i you know what that's bringing up to me is i guess my final takeaway is just how much of the miscommunication that's happening these days is actually nonverbal more so than verbal i, I we're focusing on the verbal we're saying don't say this say this but it's really about what do you mean when you say mm-hmm. that absolutely and so taking the time to sort of notice how someone's communicating something beyond Mm -hmm. their words i think can make us better communicators better people yeah and that's it thanks everyone and don't forget when it comes to communicating please communicate about this show communicate (laughs) about this episode and communicate to us we're all ears and we'd love to hear from y'all that's all for today folks thanks for spending time with us today and thank you for listening to talk Talk psych to me. me